You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Hello. Hey, how's it going? I'm all right, man. How you doing? I'm good. Is today the question jar show? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. Do, do oh, you want to do a good? Question? Because good. That's good. Because I have a good question. Uh, what I'm wondering is what is the evolutionary benefit of men growing nipple hair? Because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, mm. and they really get out of control quick. Mm. This is true. No, it's true. They go from unnoticeable to three and a half inches overnight. And then you just look ridiculous. And I I just, I've been wondering that for a while. Thank God we got another uh, question show today. (laughs) This is a, no, it's a, listen, I'm glad that we covered this. Um, I'm also glad to know more about your nipples. That's important to me. So I'm glad that we covered that. It's a universal problem, Jamie. If you're not, if you're not open enough to admit it, that's okay. You can, you'll get there someday. I'm sure. But uh, no, it's not an. Admi- I mean, I just didn't think about it. I guess it wasn't really an admitting thing. I just didn't think about your nipples. That's just the old, you know, basic fact of it. I guess. But now I do. Yeah, yeah, and true courage is really acknowledging your vulnerability. And so I pray for your courage someday to uh, acknowledge these things. But you are, you are a good man. You're always looking out for me. Yep, yep, in a condescending way. If you noticed, but, there was that, a little bit. Of, yeah, I noticed it. I noticed it, but I wasn't going to make mention. <laughs> a little bit of. <laughs> And I also, uh, I, I also use, I, I also use prayer to subdue you. That's what I was going to say. Does anybody ever say I pray for you in like a really nice way? Do they ever say like, I pray for you? It's always like a slap at the, you know, like a, you know, I hope you'll be a better person someday. Yeah. The big one now is uh, there's, there's several um, big name leaders from the evangelical Christian movement that have left because they came to odds with some of the uh, coercion and, and power dynamics that weren't created from the Bible or, or God's will, essentially. And so they left the evangelical Christian church. And there's all these leaders in that evangelical movement who are putting out public prayers saying that they pray for their souls and they, um, they don't feel the weight of the torment of eternal life in hell apart from their Lord and Savior, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound like a prayer to me. That sounds like a, a guy who's so full of himself. He can't, he can't figure out what's right from wrong. And he's, Oh my God. That is very much a slap in the face. I feel like I'm trying to think of like what, there's definitely something I say to my kids like that, you know, like, do you think that was a good idea? Do you? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just tell us it was a bad idea? Don't Why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you want to see? <laughs> don't make me ponder how bad of a person I am. Just tell me how bad of a person I am. Nice. Yeah. That Look. is you know, what you wanted to talk about today was uh, kind of some of the issues or questions we have with our religion. That's one of the big ones for me, though, that I kind of wiggled into was uh, just the sense of how different uh you know every there's so many we call them denominations subgroups do you call them denominations in judaism yeah yeah sure um, sure um 
but just how different they all are. And no one's marketing the fact that there's hundreds of different types to, to shop, shop around for, you know, one person gets hurt by one denomination and they throw away the 99 others that could have been good for them. And wow, really? 99? Really? I mean, that's biblical, right? There were, that's the, maybe, <laughs> it had to be 99, right? Maybe, like it had to be. Maybe you didn't get that far in the Bible. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I, did, I think I might have Talk to me next week. I'll, hopefully got, I'll catch up. You got lazy right around the Psalms and Maccabees. <laughs> Can't be it's definitely not a lazy, getting not a lazy thing. Here. <laughs> so many <laughs> names and genealogies. Why would I keep reading? Um, uh, yeah. So there, there's, you know, they, they, I think people just throw away the whole thing when no one tells them, Hey, look, that subgroup are, you know, they're, they were created for this reason. They believe this for this reason. We believe differently and, you know, honor that some other scriptures are more powerful and that the love of God is a, uh, more prevalent than kind of the hatred that they're spewing. So don't throw God away just because, you know, you've been hurt by a person or a group, but people think we're like, like McDonald's, you know, you, you can go to McDonald's in any, any place in the world and you got the same exact menu, same exact colors. And so if you don't like McDonald's, you're not going to show up when you're on vacation or you travel. Uh, same thing with church. People assume that the one church that hurt them, everybody's like the rest of them. It's also, I think, pretty painful to watch people. I'm sure you'd feel this as well. I mean, I feel it in mine. The people who are using scripture in a way to sort of validate or substantiate, it's probably a better word, their own biases and their own prejudices that they feel in their normal everyday life. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I'll give you an example. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I mean, sure, you have like 20 of them, but like one of my big uh, struggles, and we've talked about this a little bit before, is homosexuality, right? And how Judaism, especially traditional Judaism, relates to homosexuality. But it's amazing to see people, you know, treating other people so horribly when it's like, yeah, no, it never, it never said you had to treat people badly. Like that's not what it was. It, I mean, even if you agree with what the scripture says, never said, and therefore you have to treat them horribly. No, it doesn't say that anywhere. And they just sort of say, no, it says this in the Torah, so therefore, you know, you have to be mean to other people. Yeah. And isn't it crazy that people, I mean, what you just said was, in, was, was how many would say it, you know, the scripture says this, but many people are unwilling to come to read, to, to terms with the fact that their interpretation of what they read comes to this or what someone mm. told them, how they interpreted the scripture came to this, you know, and yeah, that's the, you know, people don't realize that there are, it's the interpretation of scripture. It's not like God handed this down in the most specific and reproducible mm -hmm. form that every single person has, has it in, you know, in blood fact, um, the same exact way. And there's some people going, Oh no, I don't agree with God. It's that we've interpreted <laughs> it that way. And it's been reinterpreted and retranslated, you know, the word homosexuality itself in the English translations of Bibles didn't show up until the seventies or eighties. Right. So some of those scriptures that, you know, say that we now, you know, are making decisions or on homosexuality, they weren't talking about homosexuality. So it's someone's interpretation or translation of that. And no, people just don't, don't get that. They need like hard, hard truths and facts to live their life by when really a lot of it's kind of gray, gray and, uh, you know, murky. It's difficult to, sure. to navigate that tension. Now in no, but, Judaism, mm -hmm. don't you have a lot of 
uh, you, you, you guys, from what I understand, rabbis have a lot of debate and uh, um, discussion about the various translations of that. Is that true? Yeah, um, we tend to translations. I mean, it might be better interpret the word might be interpretation, but yeah, you're right. I was just going to say that like, that's one of the amazing things about Judaism is how many, there's like a, a plethora of opinions and a plethora of writing on everything that you want to like study about almost. And so what happens is it, it, whatever the debate be, people will hide behind the other people, right? They'll say, and they'll say things like, Oh, um, so who says what you say, what you're saying? Like you, you, you don't get to just come up with an idea. You don't get to just say, well, I think the interpretation is this. So they say, no, no, but who, who said that? It's almost like, I don't know if you remember in Rhode Island, you might've had this, whose house do you live in? Do you, did you have that in, your, in Rhode Island in your neighborhood? No. In Providence, people would ask things like, whose house do you live in? And, and when I first heard this, the person who was telling me said, I could have sworn I was paying the mortgage. And there's a plaque on every house that says it was built by X and X in this date. So they say, whose house do you live in? And it's kind of like, yeah, you don't get to like have your, it's not your house. It was the house that Jack built. And then you get to, you know, sort of live there now. <laughs> but the... <laughs> <laughs> but the well, the interesting thing here too is the same idea. You 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 don't get to like all of a sudden come up with some sort of. I mean, the word we would use in Hebrew is a chiddush, right? Just a, your own novel idea, right? You only get to have novel ideas when you're reading um, scripture itself and you're sort of interpreting scripture for its own right. Like, what do I mean by that? Like if I'm doing what we call a drasha, right? If I'm, if I'm sitting there and I'm doing a sermon of some kind and I come up with some idea that no one's ever thought of before, that's great. Everyone loves that. But if we're talking about law and we're talking about like the law as it's supposed to be followed, especially in the very, you know, uh, controversial pockets of, of law, you don't get to just come up with some idea that that's not allowed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of I mean, my biggest struggles is how do we, um, you know, how do we find a common foundation that never changes um, and agree on that so that we can be more influential and, and, and make a bigger difference in the world um, without, you know, constantly pointing out the differences and the faults. I mean, that's a big portion, big reason for, for the podcast too, right? It's, right. I think uh, Rich Curtis, one of our guests pointed out, you know, just the nature of the dialogue that's you know fun and respectful between two people of of uh, religions that often seem you know very different and and I've heard people even propose Judaism and, and Christianity are um, in opposition to one another which is just bizarre because I mean we built off of all of what we did. <laughs> uh, oh God, you know it's funny because I'm actually in the midst of a debate right now where I wrote something this week and. Um, it got published in one of the Israeli papers here and somebody wrote something, you know, sort of a scathing response to me and uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, but some of the comments on it, I was just like sort of scanning some of the comments. Um, the, the, I'll give you the background. A little bit of background was that um, there's a debate whether or not uh, in my profession, when I do circumcisions, whether or not one should do a circumcision for a couple that's of mixed, a mixed marriage, right? If it's a, um, if it's a, the, if the mother is Jewish, then there's no question because we said we have matrilineal descent. So the baby is Jewish. Therefore there has to be a Brit Milah, right? There has to be a circumcision. But when it comes to the father, Jewish mother, not then we, there's like this whole debate, whether or not it should be done. And, 
uh, one of the couple, like the, the whole reason it came up was because there are two in, pretty big celebrity couples that got that are intermarried right now in Israel, had baby boys and had circumcisions done. And so I sort of posed the question, should a Mohel do it? And I brought some sort of a source and was talking about it. And in the comments below, somebody said, because one of the couples, I don't know what one of the status of one of the mothers is, but the other one is, is an Arab Israeli. So she's, she's Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. And so somebody wrote, well, I think that the Muslims have the same, they have the same God as we do. And I'm like, well, brace yourself. I think everyone has the same God. <laughs> We just have either different interpretations of it or, you know, the way, actually the way that I like that we put it in Judaism is that, that everyone has their own relationship with God, right? We never, there, there was never anything that said, oh, the God of, right? The only ones that we, the only people we've ever called into question of their sort of relate, if is there is a God, are people who, do, who are doing idol worship, right? Idol worship is something that Judaism is very against. Other than that, we've always said, the, the, the Christian, you know, Christianity is, is just a different relationship, a different sort of covenant, if you will, with God. It's just not the one that we have. So we all feel that we're praying to the same God. You know, it's just funny to see somebody write, well, I think they have the same God as we do. And I'm like, yeah, if you believe that there's only one God, which is what we believe that they are praying to the same yeah, God as we are, right? It's just a different understanding of what that God is and how that relationship is supposed to function. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's a difficult conversation to navigate because people again, get so they, they have such a, a, a need for their human behavior to, to be, you know, I'm right. So that must mean that everyone else is wrong, right? There's this mm-hmm. superiority, um, you know, in ingrained in the Bible is superiority language, which is unfortunate, but you know, so when, when we read certain texts or review kind of even um, scholars, writing on those texts, that language does come out and people hear superiority as the opposite is everyone else is wrong or everyone else is worse. Right. Mm. And so the, the challenge is how do we have a mutual respect? Like you said, for the nature of one God and different relationships, how do we have a, a great respect for that while still honoring the Bible? And it was the language of the time, you know, now you I think there's a greater sensitivity to that, to not using that kind of language because it puts other people down. It makes them, you know, and, and that's not the intent. The intent is to really praise and worship a God, you know, that is all knowing, uh, all powerful without saying, if you don't, if you don't believe the same thing as us, you, you know, you're, you got big problems. Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, what's interesting is, that it's funny because these things happen. I, you might see this in your own, you know, communities, but within the the places that I've been and learned and uh, studied in, that that sort of need for I don't know if it's even a need for almost like a knee jerk reaction of saying this is what I do, therefore everyone else is wrong. Is it, it? It goes. It's like with even within you know even the smallest sects of Judaism, that's what happens, and and there are, and when does it usually show up? It usually shows up when people are just learning about religion, right? We call them Baal Tshuva, right? Somebody who's, who was not raised in an observant lifestyle then becomes observant, immediately has this sort of black and white understanding of the world and, and how the law works. Whereas the, actually the way um, what's called halakha, Jewish law works, it's much more complex and there's a lot more gray and there are many, many opinions and how all those things function. It's, it's very complicated, which is why most people have to have a rabbi. But there was, there was a time where um, while I was studying uh, in yeshiva, 
a couple of guys said, Hey, you know, there's like this trip to go do paintball. Why don't we, uh, why don't we all go play paintball? So I got like a, I got, I loaded up a, a bunch of people into the car. It, we got our, we actually got our complete tuchuses handed to us. Cause number one, we didn't even have enough people on our team. Well, number one. And number two, the guys that we were playing against were like, Oh no, no, no. Uh, yeah. We were in the army, but we were just what they call job nicks, which means that we just worked behind a desk. And they completely lied to us and absolutely trounced us. But while we were driving, it was really fun. And except for that part where like you get hit in the face with a paintball and like you eat the paint, it's just disgusting. Anyway, but while we were driving, one of the the people I had in my car was one of the sort of first year students who's just learning. And he says to me, um, isn't it true that you have to do X, X, and X? I don't even remember what the question was. And I remember saying to him, when you sort of progress in your religious life um, and you, you know, get to a point where you're confident in who you are and what you've learned and how you're, you know, experience, you know, you're practicing your Judaism, when somebody else is doing something different, it won't feel like an attack on your religious being. Right. It'll just be different. And, and you can say, no, but this is the way I do it. And that's fine. And I don't need to negate what you're doing in order to make myself feel like I'm doing the right thing. You'll just say, okay, that person probably has a reason for what they're doing. And the guy literally was like, so is it right or am I right or am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it comes from a place of such insecurity, right? Like, yep. you know, what if we said we didn't know or what if we said both? Like, why are you so insecure about those things? Yeah, that's great. Um, I, but I think that goes across denomina- across religions, right? If you're confident in, in, in sort of your religion and how you relate to God, then it's okay that there are other relationships out there. It doesn't negate you and what you do. Sure. Right. I mean, it's, it, it, it's applicable. Yeah. And people get so, you know, sensitive to not appearing a certain way. Right. We had, um, I had a colleague who preached one time um, about uh, Arab Christians. I hope, yeah. I hope I'm doing that right. And in that language, what's the name of God? Uh, Allah. Ya, uh, ya, Allah. Yeah, Allah. But I, I got it wrong because we they say around here, they say Ya'ala, which means let's go. But Ya'ala just means go with God. So it's Allah, right? But it's yeah. right. So we say, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's Allah in Arabic. So he was talking about how, you know, in worship, they, you know, they say, dear Allah, thank you for this. And we praise mm-hmm. the name of Allah and all these other things. And he said, how amazing is it that we share the same God in multiple languages? Well, man. People got pissed saying that we were worshiping the Muslim God and how dare he say we're worshiping the Muslim God. Now, uh, there's many layers of things that really are non-problems, but all he was saying was, you know, in that language and other languages, it's not, we don't say God in the same way. And there's, you know, there's beauty and diversity and, and they just blew up because they could, they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, primal brain couldn't handle the sense of tension or they all they heard was Allah is what Muslims uh, say and all Muslims are terrorists and we're better than Muslims. I'm not saying any of those things to clarify. <laughs> Obviously. That's yeah. Don't what, send us letters. That's all what this person was saying in their head. And I was deeply troubled. And I felt, I suddenly felt like I had done a poor job as a leader training, you know, and teaching our community about the beauty of that diversity. Like, oh, oh boy, God. I've got a lot of ground to cover. I thought we had the basics. So what's funny, I mean, what's amazing about Judaism in that respect is that we don't, 
we actually used to have um, an utterance for God, right? We used to have an, a word that we would say, which was God's name. And what we have now is actually when you see certain letters, right? When you see certain letters in Hebrew, you don't actually pronounce them. You have the letters Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, right? That's called the tech, tech, tetragrammaton. I always forget. I always think I'm talking. I always think I'm talking. Tetragrammaton, yeah. Right, but I always think I'm talking about some sort of uh, robo, you know, like uh, what's it called? Definitely like a, a transformer. transformer. Yeah, I'm like sitting here like, is that, did I just Tetra- say the right thing? Tetragrammaton <laughs> Prime, yeah. Yeah, so that, that Tetragrammaton used to be uttered and it used to only be uttered once a year on Yom Kippur, on the highest of holy days and the holiest of holy places and whatever. And if it was an amazing thing, they actually sent in the Kohen Gadol, right? The, the high priest into this holy of holies with like a string tied around his leg so that if he said the name wrong, he got zapped and we'd have to like drag <laughs> him out because <laughs> no one else was allowed in there except him. Yeah, totally. So, but now we, we actually get to this point where we have moved so far from the actual pronunciation of God that I actually didn't realize we have one word, uh, which is the Tetragamazon. And we have this other word, which is actually plural. So we have a word that's, that we're talking about God, but we say that God is only one, but there's a, pl- so we have moved so far away from actually how to call God that like, I don't even know if I would have that sort of reaction. You know what I mean? If somebody said to me, you know, that, that Allah is who we all pray to, I would say, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, like I, we don't really have a real good working definition yet. You know, we're still working on it over here. Yeah. So you, um, this is great, but you had said you wanted to talk more about um, things that annoy you about Judaism sure. uh, and the work. What else were you thinking when you wanted to bring that up? Um, well, one of the things I think that's hardest for me, and, I, and I'm going to flip that question back on you in a minute, but one of the things that I think is both something beautiful about Judaism and something which is difficult about Judaism is trying to take something which is so ancient and, and, and basically irrelevant to people and trying to make it relevant and, and doing so when you're doing it, not cheapening it and, and, you know, making it something, you know, that's almost like you, you have such complicated, uh, outdated things that all of a sudden you, you, you just want to say, well, well, that's just like when you go to the supermarket. Well, no, it's not, that's not, you know what I mean? That's a really cheapening what, what you're looking at, but but at the same time, it, it can be very hard to sort of relate two things which, you know, come from thousands and thousands of years ago. You know what I mean? It's it, how, do you, how do you interact with those sorts of things? So it's, a, it's always a struggle for me how to do those things. Do you, I mean, do you feel like, do you feel like your, your religion at this point is um, having those sorts of struggles or is it much more, you know, this is a, a newer sort of thing so we don't feel that, that tension? You know, I feel like um, for me, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And I don't think about it as ancient. I think about it as timeless, mm. meaning that, um, yeah, it's been existing since the very, you know, our understanding of the beginning of it all, but it, it exists now and will exist forever. And so I'm merely a blip, you know, I'm merely a dot in the speck of the universe um, and a moment in time, a millisecond relevant to the rest of it but I'm still vitally important to the movement that God wants to make and has been making forever. And so whatever it is we're talking about doesn't cheapen it. I don't think Moses was any better than me, to be honest. Mm. And some people may think that's heresy. I don't think, 
I, I, other than Jesus, I don't think there's many biblical characters who had much more significance in God's eyes than I or, or you or anybody else. And maybe, maybe your perspective is that cheapens it, but I think these characters got um, eternalized because of the nature of, uh, of, you know, religion to organize and formalize these things. So they had some standards to live by of who's in and who's out, which was the, you know, kind of an original sin of religion because it, now it's like, okay, you've made everyone feel less than you uh, and unable to, you know, treat themselves as a, a, you know, a necessary and beloved part of God's work. Um, so I see, I mean, and, and that's, that's been my primary calling as an individual. Um, and I'm just blessed that church communities have consistently found a need for that. Um, and I've found those communities because there are, there are a lot that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't take me because of, you know, my silliness or my, you know, my lack of um, formality sometimes. But, you know, I found communities that wanted and appreciated the way that I try to make it practical and relevant right now, right here, wherever you are. And um, I, I just don't see, I, I don't see the necessity of a religion or a gathering if we're not, um, if we're not beloved and important to God, if what's happening now isn't as important as what happened before. So I think that's a, that it's something, but so I will say many others do wrestle with that. It's, and it's, um, I just don't get into those discussions. Th those are discussions I either see myself out of, or I haven't been invited to in the first place. <laughs> yeah, right there. They're um, saying, uh, he doesn't think, he thinks he's so important. We won't invite him. No, you know, but I, the, I think yeah, the other part is there are pastors, you know, on these, on these group uh, forums, group chats that I'm in, there are pastors who, at, in two different posts, will say, you know, why is the church dying? Why is nobody coming? And then they'll say, I can't believe uh, people want, you know, you know, want to believe something different than what I'm telling them or want to, or, you know, and I'm like, okay, people are probably leaving because you're telling them about these things that aren't, you know, you're not able to make them relatable or practical and they can't grasp them. So why would they keep coming just to hear about the same stories and same, um, same things to do? And it, it's not about getting, you know, I don't think that's about numbers, but I think the challenge for me is about, uh, you know, the balance and let's connect with people who we can, but not worry too much about how we can't and uh, help people see their meaning in the story and not just tell the same story uh, over and over again. Powerful. I'm telling you, we, I mean, this is something that Judaism struggles with because we have two competing sort of philosophies on this. And we have this thing, which is called uh, Aliyata Dorot and Yeridata Dorot. Most people believe the, the latter, which means that the generations since Moses and since we got the Torah have only been going down. Not, we've just been getting worse and worse and further and further from that moment of <laughs> revelation. About, talk about a selling point. You're like, that's like going to a used, a used car lot. And the guy was like, this is a great car. When it was built, it was amazing. Ever since it's been going downhill. So <laughs> now, it's only going to get worse. By the way, that's a perfect example because we all know this moment you drive a car off a lot, it's like lost its value. Like how much did it half in value in the moment it won off the lot? So like, so that's one interpretation. Now there is a whole nother school of thought, which is the Aliyata Dorot, which means that the generations are always going up. That since we're 
sort of invested and um, learning and constantly turning these things over and over and and trying to get close. You know, it gets actually because of all this learning and because of all these interpretations, we're actually getting closer to God. So um, I definitely see you as you know the the latter and not the former, which is great. Um, but yeah, I, I mean it, that that struggle that we we face. Um, I think most people who who sit in the traditional camp of Judaism think of that 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 that, that we've just been getting further and further. Even though I heard an amazing story once, which was uh, at one of the schools I taught at, one of the students was sitting in the in the Beit Midrash in the study hall, and he was just he he looked like he was such a mess, and. That, and he was, you know, probably just out of college and, and the teacher came up and said, what's the matter? And he said, there's just too much to study. And, and at this point, there is so much writing on so many, so many, every little picky and little detail you could imagine. There's been books and books and books written on. And, and the teacher said, um, well, you know, he said, uh, Rabbi Akiva, who was one of our greatest sages, he said, Rabbi Akiva didn't start learning until he was 40. <laughs> And the, kid, the student turns to him, he says, he had only learned that one book. They hadn't written all this stuff yet. <laughs> he said, and so like, yeah, we're, we're sitting here. So I, I definitely think that if you ask me where we are, we are definitely in the getting closer because of turning things over and over and over again and all the study that we've done. It just can be slightly overwhelming at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else? Tell us what else is annoying. Your boss is listening. So, um, so wait, no, I, this one, now, now I want your turn. Now that's your turn. I'll go, I'll give you another one after mine. So give me something that you find that's annoying that you want to, if you, like, I actually wanted to word it. If you could change one thing or two things about your religion, what would it be? The costume. The Oh, the costume. Yeah. I've seen what you have to wear. You know, it's, it's getting better. I think my biggest trouble is, you know, I, I get this symbolism and significance of all the, the, the white dress and the white rope and the cross and the, the scarf that matches the drapes, but. Um, <laughs> they kind of look like the drapes. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, they, no one, no, there's gotta be a company that updates this stuff a bit, you know, modernizes it. Like I mm -hmm. like, I, I like fitted suits, you know, I, but I go in and I buy when I buy a, a store uh, an alb, which is my the white robe I wear. Um, yep. When I buy the alb, it's basically they ask for my neck size and my sleeve length, and then they That's sell, it. and then the, and then they give me a, a size that doesn't translate to any human size you've ever purchased <laughs> at any store. <laughs> and I get it, and it's for the what I call the fattest common denominator. So whether oh, wow. you know what if you're six two with a sixteen and a half neck, um whether you're a hundred pounds or 500 pounds, this all will fit you. I, I guarantee it. It's the same all. I have a friend who's, who's morbidly obese. He gets the same all as me. Wow. And so I look like I'm drowning in a muumuu and how am I supposed to get up and be taken seriously? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's annoying. Uh, I would change it. So there is one company in Switzerland, maybe they have their clothes, uh, sewn uh somewhere else it's a swiss company though and um they do it's it's called taylor brand and they do all tail like online tailored clothes um it's all under 100 bucks so i go on and just like a tailor would here i you know i, I give them all my measurements i say this is the shirt i want and they do clergy collars and that's been the, the closest thing because me i mean oh, you're, wow. you're about the same size as me six to 170 pounds there's not even, you know, not a shirt off the rack that fits me. 
And I, right. I realized that this is, this is like global warming. This problem will never be solved. And uh, <laughs> we, we, there are, there are billions, it's definitely plaguing the people as much as it is. Billions of people <laughs> suffering from this. So I, don't, I mean, maybe I don't even need to bring it up because it's obvious, but this is one of the biggest problems with Christianity is the clothing. Wow. But I mean, I, just from where I sit, I, I well, can tell you have to wear, you, you are wearing a hat tinier than, uh, you know, tinier than your underwear and it has no brim. Hey, yo. And do you still have the ropes hanging from your hips? I mean, so I do have the ropes hanging from my hips. They're called seat seat. I have those, the, the ones I, I actually, I mean, if you want me to go through the garb that we wear, um, on a daily basis, I wear. Uh, what's called a talit katan, which is a smaller sort of undershirt with the ropes called tzitzit. Then I have to wear when I'm praying the, the morning service. And this has nothing to do with being the guy at the front of the room. I have to wear another huge one of those with the tzitzit with the strands hanging off. So like, it's like putting on, you know, like almost like a comforter. I mean, that's how big it is. Then I have to put on what's called tefillin, which are these leather straps that I wrap on my arm and my head. We've got oh, yeah. more than enough. But But what's interesting is, is that it's what I was saying. It's not, it's not something that the rabbi wears and nobody else wears, right? Nobody else wears this except you, correct? The mumu. Uh, assistance. It, it's only in presiding. It's not like right. daily. Yeah. And so what I was thinking was like when we, it was funny because when, when I first started doing it, uh, it felt very like sort of weird and I, I didn't know what I was doing. And one of my teachers said, he said, I, I imagine it like my, uh, my suit of armor that I put on, you know, it's a sort of, that's God, God's protecting me in some way. I was like, that's a nice interpretation, but I think, I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Isn't this supposed to be that it, it adds some sort of what we would call Kedusha, but you would probably call holiness, sanctity to what you're doing. Isn't that the interpret, isn't that the idea yeah, of it? Listen to me closely. I'm not saying that the symbolism or meaning of these things aren't beautiful. Nobody really knows them. Why, okay. why we're wearing these things, right? That's not widely known. It, it, I mean, to be honest, if you ask 90, if you ask 100 people, maybe 10, 15 might, might ask, you know, why are you wearing that? Oh, we can get Wait, there. But That's I would problem. love to know why. I know what your problem is. Your problem is that it's one size fits all, but I'm just wondering, yeah, is can it- Can we update it a bit? Like, why does it have to be the same one? <laughs> you wonder, a, like, can you 16, just, just cinch it? Just cinch it. A 16th century monk wore the same thing as me. Why did I have to buy a new one? Why didn't it just get handed down through centuries? You know what I mean? Like, can we- can You would not like the smell. Everything was, we've yeah. worn in the past 2,000 years has been updated except for- what I wear when I'm standing in front of hundreds of people trying to be a professional, inspirational, meaningful, comforting, challenging, whatever it is. And it's impossible to do in that moment. Oh God. So funny because there, there's a, there's not, not the sect of Judaism that I am a part of one that's more to the right of me. Whereas I don't know if you, you've probably seen it right where they have the black hat and they've got like, they're always wearing a suit with the jacket. That's too long. It looks like they're about to sit down and play piano. You know what I'm talking about? They're like going to flip it pretend, behind them. And then they pretend to put off a gangster vibe. Like, <laughs> yes, but, the, but they, they, put off, they put off a hardcore gangster vibe while having white socks going up to their knees. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to pull off, but they somehow they do it. But what's amazing is, is that they think that this is like this garb that they're wearing ha, is like what we call Moshe Misenai. It's It was given to Mo, Moses on Mount Sinai, whereas actually it was a, you know, 1800, late 1800s Polish garb that they just decided to stop. You know how like when they say like, you know, when you're getting old, 
is when you no longer like the clothing you had was like the clothing you had in college and you never really updated your style or maybe even the clothing itself. Like they did that in the 1800s and they just kept wearing the same thing till now. And, and, but they, I don't even think that they think what you're thinking, which is, you know, what the intention is, is that, you know, it it adds some sort of layer of holiness. I think it's just, that's how they dress, but yeah. (laughs) But see, and and I'd almost, I'd, I'd either rather have like, get me a modern tailor, get me, Get me the um, what's that show called? Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, fellas, to update yes. this whole thing. Like, give me a give me a TV show. Let's update it all. You know, get looking like every other profession in the world gets to look, you know, in that role. Or I want to be more like the Pope, who has stuff passed down to him for hundreds of years that ha- he has to wear just because it's been passed down. Mm-hmm. It's the same one. That's why he wears a kippa, right? Isn't that why he wears a kippa? I don't know. I don't know about his kippa. But it is a keeper. Let's just be honest. Like, let's get it out. Let's get it right out there. That's a keeper. I mean, we all think that that's a keeper. Yeah, I don't even know what they call that though. It's not. They don't call it a keeper. But you're right. It's, well, it's, in Yiddish, they call it a yarmulke. So if he needs any names for it, I can help him out. <laughs> I'm gonna Google it. The hat that Pope, the hat that the Pope wears. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's that's. <laughs> it, it honestly does annoy me. I mean, every time I put it on, it, you know, I'm fiddling with it. I'm trying to put it on. I'm like this, this whole thing. And, and you know, the other thing that I definitely understand is for some people, they do see a great deal of respect and professionalism in the uniform, right? Because they've, and it, but it's not because of how it looks. It's because of the uh, tradition and formality of it. Like when they were two years old and their first memory of church, they saw someone wearing that when they were 14 and were confirmed when they were 26 and got married, when they're, you know, grandpa died. He was person wearing the same thing. So that's meaningful. I'd just like it to be a little more fitted, maybe have some doilies, maybe have some, you know, ruffles or, you know, something, something nice. like that. Like maybe Elton John would be a great designer for uh, the pastoral, the clergy outfit. <laughs> nice. I'm just, I'm, the only thing I'm imagining is that sketch from Saturday Night Live where uh, uh, Mike Myers, they were the Gap girls. You remember when they all came in and they were like, oh, don't yeah. you think that these are a little too baggy on me? I just cinch it. Just put a big belt on it and cinch it. That's what I'm imagining you doing like on Sunday mornings. Yeah, just cinch it. That's what the cincture is. The cincture is the rope around our waist as a belt. It's it's cinch, cinch, just cinch it. Cinching it. I had one kid we were talking about. Um, we told, the kid asked what it was called, cincture. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks after that, it was a service where we didn't wear everything. And he asked me where my sphincter was. Oh, that's such a good slip. That is oh, such yeah. a good one. Oh, yeah. oh you got to hold on to that. <laughs> well, you don't want me to show you. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Back to you. What else? Annoying. All right. So um, I'll tell you, I, I'm not sure if we ever, if I ever told you this story before, if I did, or if anybody listening has heard it, the one person listening, we apologize for repeating ourselves or I apologize for repeating myself, but um, there was uh, a moment which sort of reflects one of the struggles that I have. Uh, when I was studying in New York uh, many years back, I wanted to um, be uh, teaching in the summer as a as a counselor at a surf camp, and I had been doing it in Malibu for a couple summers. Um, and turned out the actually the owner was a, a little bit of wackadoo, and I was ready to sort of move on. I ended up working. It was actually the summer that I ended up living with our friend Adam in Santa Cruz and teaching there. But before I went, I thought, oh, there's. I had heard there was a surf camp in North Carolina, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just give him a try. Wouldn't be as far from home, so to speak. So I, I sent this guy a message, and I and I said, you know, I'm interested. He said, send me your resume. 
So I sent him my resume and he said, listen, you know, it's really great that you, uh, you want to come here and teach. He said, but I actually have a, a different proposition for you. I'd like you to go and head up my camp in Costa Rica. And I said, yeah. oh, uh, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I think I, could. I would love to do that. And he said, oh, that's great. He said, I think you'd be perfect. You know, you've got, you've got, you're definitely overqualified for this. He said, you just, I need you to not do that, that Shabbat thing. If I'm going to need you to work on Saturdays. <laughs> and I was like, uh, listen, man, I was like, I'll work at night. I'll work, you know, I'll do anything. I said, I just need 25 hours on from Friday night to Saturday. And he goes, I he said, I can't do it. And I didn't get, you know, I didn't get the job. And I mentioned it to one of my friends, uh, who I was studying with and, and, you know, we, we were on totally different wavelengths. You know, he was coming from a very different place, a very traditional place. Um, then I was coming from a much more liberal place. I probably am still coming from a liberal place. And he says to me, how amazing is it that God is giving you this challenge, you know, that you can choose Shabbat over going for this job. And I said, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want the job, man. I want to go to Costa Rica. And like, so there are these things, you know, this is one of the examples, but that you just, you miss out on on Shabbat. Like I was, I, I talked to my son Rafi about it all the time. He, he is so into surfing and he so wants to be, like he said to me, we were driving and I said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he said, I think I, I want to be a professional surfer. And we've talked about the struggles of like, if you want to be a professional surfer, you know, he, he couldn't be on the competitive circuit because he can't say, uh, oh, they're running the contest on Saturday. Sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be able to come. You just, that's it. You're out of the contest. So, you know, there's just things that you're going to miss out on in life. And, you know, especially seeing him sort of, you know, the, it, what was nice was in our conversation, he, he realized, you know, there are things called competitive surfers, you know, professional surfers, and there are free surfers, which are people who basically get paid to just surf and get people to video them. And that's like their whole gig. Puts, and I was like, put stickers on their board, that kind of, yeah, thing. put stickers on their board and, and, you know, make the board look cool and get people to buy it. And he, he I was like, so you could probably very easily be a free surfer. And he was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a free surfer. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. But I told him you probably also couldn't be a big wave surfer. If you wanted to keep Shabbat, you know what I mean? You couldn't be a big wave surfer. Cause again, just like the contest runs on Saturday, the window of time that like big wave swells come, it's, you know, it's usually less than 24 hours. It's going to fall out on Saturdays pretty often. And you, you can't just be, if that's your profession, you can't just be like, well, I missed that swell. Like how many do you get a year? Maybe a handful of swells a year. You know what I mean? You got to be on those waves. And so, you know, sitting here watching him sort of come to terms with that, um, is, is interesting. I mean, there was a, there's actually uh, a guy who, um, I don't know how he managed it, but his name is Tamir Goodman. He lives here in Israel. Now, um, they called him the Jewish Jordan because he was a NBA player and he was really, really good. And everyone wanted to recruit him to be on the team. And at some point, I think he, he just, you know, realized that the balancing of, you know, giving up, you know, trying not being there for his team. Cause he had to, you know, not work on Saturdays. I think he started, he just came to Israel because there's never a, comp, there's never a game on Saturday. You know what I mean? The games are, they don't, they don't run them on Shabbos. So like it, it, all these sorts of things, I was like, maybe if you're the best surfer, whoever walked the planet, they'll figure out a way to like make you be part of all of this, but uh, you miss out on things. It's, it's not easy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those trade-offs that really, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Shabbos is great. I love Shabbat. You know what I mean? We've talked about that. It's a wonderful thing, but to sort of watch things that you love, like, like a good example is, I mean, surfing itself, just being a, a regular old guy who likes to go surf. I miss tons of waves because I can't go on Saturday. It's just how it is. So is that, are you saying that's one of the things that annoys you is that you have to make those tough decisions? For sure. For sure. Oh, now I understand the story. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't explicit. Sorry. I don't like having to to make well, the making the decisions thing. I mean, you've I've made the decision. I just don't like like missing out on things like that and and sort of watching, you know, the options of my son. Like he he I think he's gonna want to keep Shabbat. I'm not trying to like, you know, overly come down on him, but we've talked about it. He says, Yeah, I want to keep Shabbat, I want to keep the laws of being kosher, and you know, those sorts of things. Also, just keeping the laws of you know what you can what you can eat and what you can't eat. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I'm sure one day, please God, I'll figure it out. But like, you know, going on a, a trip to Indonesia, like how will I eat? <laughs> For a 10 day trip to Indonesia, what am I going to do? A can of tuna every night? It's going to kill me. So, on the Shabbat, on keeping Shabbat, um, is that, does it annoy you more because it's, I've always seen it as a dual nature of like it is an offering to God to give that day, but it's also a sacrifice, right? It's in, in essence, it's, I mean, those words, by the way, those words are interchangeable in Hebrew sacrifice and offering, right? An offering is a sacrifice because what happened, how did I give an offering? I had to give up one of the animals in my flock and that's a serious loss of money, right? So an yeah. offering and a sacrifice is the same thing. Yeah. 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 It's definitely, but it's, it's like, definitely, uh, I guess the way I, I think uh, the way I try, uh, maybe not offering as much, it's, it's like a form of worship and praise, right? It's like to give that day to God, you know, you're sacrificing. So there's an, in, in essence, there's an, you know, you're, you're giving up something, but you're also doing something worthwhile, right? That's ultimately more worthwhile. Like the way I understand our worship and praise is this isn't something I have to do. It's something I want to do. Like I'm so grateful to just be in God's presence and, and I need a scheduled day every week or else I probably wouldn't prioritize it. Um, you know, and so for us, that's, that's, you know, Sunday mornings we pick a time for most Christians, uh, so there's the worship piece, but it's also a sacrifice. So the, the challenge is like, how do you instill the, the, you know, like you're, like you're, you're working with Rafi, your son on the sacrifice. Like, yeah, you've got to figure out what you're going to give up, but how do we make that worthwhile enough? Like the, the, you know, God desirable enough in a very, you know, practical, emotional, uh, motivational way to be like, I want to do, Shabbat, you know what? Like, like, yeah, he's missing a big wave, but you're not going to spend the whole day sitting on the couch being bummed about missing a big wave. Like, you know, I think that's the that that's definitely a challenge for me, for us in in our form of worship. I'm not annoyed by it, but just thinking through what you're saying. No, totally. I think I think what's interesting for me is is that I would have thought at his age that he would have been. I don't even know if I would say having more of a struggle about this, but. But the fact that when I said to him, you know, are you going to keep Shabbat? And he, without even blinking an eye, he was like, oh yeah. Like, and so we're doing something right. You know what I mean? He doesn't look at it as like a total missing out. Otherwise he would say, 
yeah, I'm not sure about that if I'm going to do it. I, I don't know if he's, I also don't know if he's connected the dots yet that he, he's not in a point right now where he's watching and knowing, oh, there's a huge swell on Saturday and I could be surfing. He's not in that point in his life. But, but the fact that he just says, yeah, of course, this is what, this is what I want to do, you know, makes me feel like, okay, all right. So we're off to a good start. Um, but see, it's, but the interesting thing about, about these sort of nat, I'm going to say naturally bound uh, sports that, you know, we partake in is, is that you miss out. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like going to the gym. You know what I mean? Like carving out a day in my life where if my entire life consists of things that never go away, you know what I mean? There's the gym is there, you know, and yeah, maybe I'd like to go to the gym, but it's gone. The waves are like there for that short period of time. And they only get good for what, you know, like it's such a fleeting thing that you, it does eat away at you in a totally different way. Yeah. And that's, but that's tough to come to like rationalize to your, you know, five-year-old son. It's like, yes, you gave up this food and electricity and serving, but you gained eternal life, salvation, forgiveness of sins. Like, Oh, great. I want to do that. You know, it's hard to really um, instill that in a way. I mean, it's, it's probably just from having two parents who uh, <laughs> practice that, uh, you know, regularly as part of your way of life and not, you know, begrudgingly, you're not like rolling your eyes like, all right, guys, we got to do Shabbat at the end of this, I'll buy you ice cream. Like your kid knows you're enduring this and not enjoying it, but you guys, it seems like you enjoy it and it is part of your, you know, the fullness of your lifestyle. Oh, you're frozen. There's never, guys, no, I'm frozen now. There's never, it's never been a thing where we've had to sort of say, okay, let's just get through Shabbat. I think, I think at this point in our life, my children enjoy just sort of that attention that they get on Shabbat that they don't get during the week. You know what I mean? There's no phone distracting us. There's, you know, we, we just do things all together. Uh, the whole day. You know what I mean? I think that they really love that. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, hopefully that'll continue. You know what I mean? You never know. There's going to probably come a point where they're going to be teenagers and they're going to say, I don't want to spend all day with you. I don't want to spend five minutes with you. <laughs> you know? We're stuck in a room with our parents all day. What is that? That's, that's, <laughs> gonna, that's, that's the opposite of an offering of praise. Totally. Uh, you got one more? You got one more thing that you feel like uh, you would change if you could? I was going to tell you one thing about Judaism that I'm perplexed by. It doesn't annoy me, but it's just one of those. And then you, and then I want to hear if there's anything about Christianity in general. Um, so Sounds good. I never understand, and I, I maybe I am slightly irked by, but not annoyed. Um, the, the, there's never been a Jew, I've never seen a Jewish evangelism or like, there's no billboards, you know, on, on the highway, like say, come join Judaism. I don't know any better how to join Judaism than I do how to join the Masons or uh, the Illuminati or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I know there's a temple over there, but I, I, I don't know what time to walk in. I don't know if I'm allowed to just walk in. There's no, like, I think, I think there's no PR. So it seems very like elitist in it. It's, um, and maybe that's the maybe that's the lure of it. But how do you get new Jews, or is it just a you know something you're born into? And um, so, do you have an do you have an idea of why that's not really a like totally a, totally there there was priority? yeah there was a um, 
I'm not sure where it, it sort of exists on the record books, but at some point it was written down that especially if Jews are in power, say like in Israel, right? If we're the sort of governing body, that it is not permitted for us to proselytize. It's not allowed. Um, and, uh, and then there's the whole problem of when somebody wants to, <laughs> I think it probably has to do with, you know, the, the knowledge that we have on the inside of, you know, what you need to do, who's going to hate you, you know, so that when somebody comes, you're actually supposed to turn them away three times and you're supposed to tell them, <laughs> uh, no, you, no, 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 no. I don't think you understand what you want. No, 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 no. You don't want to do this. And then, so then once you've sort of turned them away three times, if they still show the resolve that they want to be part of the Jewish people, that only then do you start to, you know, the, the process. And the process basically is to do at least a year, I think, of learning. You do like a, a, a significant amount of learning about what is Judaism, right? And then in the end, um, the um, women only have to go to the, to the immersion in the bath, right? The, which is the akin to the uh, baptism. Baptism. Exactly. That's where you guys got that good work. And then the, uh, and then the um, men, if they don't, if they haven't been, they have to be circumcised. And if they have been circumcised, they do just like a pinprick of blood. And there's like a, an, a formal statement of, I now take on the, the, the commandments from God. And right. So there, that's the process that's done. Um, but, yeah, we don't, I mean, I, if you went up and you looked at like um, and a lot of the synagogues in America, they have like a billboard usually outside that says, you know, services are at 845. You probably just were like 845. I'm never getting up that early, you know, like 845 in the morning and or whatever. It's probably more like a lot of them are at 630 so that people can go to work. Um, but yeah, so that, and I, can people just walk in? I don't know. The, I mean, I'm not even talking about these days with security issues and COVID issues and the, all, all those things, but um, I don't think anybody would have stopped anybody if they just walked in. I, I think that it would have been, you know, there's probably would have been some weird tension, or, you know what I mean? So I've always like, like we did, you know, I brought you, remember when I brought you for Shabbat, like, you know, there was always the, you know, you get usually somebody you connect with then brings you in. And so it's not an elitist thing. It's just sort of so that people don't get weirded out thing maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely think you're right. If we wanted to do better, right? If we wanted to up our numbers, we're not doing a good job. No way. <laughs> it's just one of those things like no one knows how to join or how, you know, so the, essentially you're saying the Jewish church primarily grows because Jewish people have children. Uh, well, if you've ever been to those neighborhoods with the white socks up to their knees, they're doing a darn good job of that. <laughs> <laughs> like I once was in uh, Deal, New Jersey. We were going to visit Deal, New Jersey. We went to Lakewood for Shabbat. Lakewood is like one of the big places, in, right? Of like we're talking that sect of you know Judaism. Yeah. And uh, I was walking to synagogue, and I didn't even know where I was going to go. I walked out Friday night. We didn't do any research, and I just was like, okay, I'm gonna, I don't know, I'll just walk until I find something. I ended up in some guy's basement was where the, where the davening, where the prayer was going to be. And as I walked out, I bumped into this kid and I said, I said to him, you know, Oh, where are you going? And I walked with him. I said, so, um, are you, uh, what, what, how many kids are, uh, how many kids are in your family? And he said, uh, I'm the middle of 11 and I had four kids. I don't know. It might've been only three at that time. And I was like, you make me feel like I've done nothing at all. Like nothing. <laughs> It's like the middle of 11. Anyway, so I hear you. All right. So um, is there, you, so your question to me was, is there How anything? How much do you hate Christians? 
Oh, I, oh, how much do I hate Christians? <laughs> um, what, what, on a scale what of one mean? to 10, like <laughs> what's annoying, what's annoying. Uh, so the, the, the kind of theme of the episode you were saying was things that annoy you. So what annoys right. you, irks you, you're curious about that seems a certain way, maybe is a better way to, you know, what are you respectfully inquisitive about, but doesn't, you know, kind of like mine, like mine, oh, like I I'm, was, not, I'm not putting Judaism down. I'm just curious. What's the deal with uh, the growth plan here? So yeah, no, I hear you. Um, is there, is there something that I look at in Christianity that I think, wow, what's the deal with that? I, you know, it's, it's, I mean, the only thing that came to mind and I don't, I think it's so not representative. So it's so hard for me to say this. Um, but it's when people, and it goes for both of our religions. I don't think it's just, you know, yours or mine when people sort of take what is their religion and, and sort of twisted and make it something that it's not. Meaning when I see people, and I'll give you an example, we've talked about this once before, but um, Mel Gibson, who took, you know, something within his religion, which I don't think was the accent of the religion, you know, that that was definitely his accent, but the, um, but, uh, you know, taking the, the fact that there was a time and thank God it's not the time anymore where Jews were sort of looked down upon and as, as they were not, you know, the future of their, their religion's future was only within, you know, your own religion and and taking that and sort of exploiting it and making movies and things. And, you know, it's just that, that to me was very hard to watch. Um, But again, I don't think that's representative of much of anything. If you really, you know what I mean? I don't even think about it. So whoever I meet, whatever religion they come from, I try not to, you know, sort of bottle up any of that stuff. Um, Yeah. and, And like you said, it's not representative and that, that annoys me more than anything I can think of internally is when, you know, anyone uses the church or scripture to slander and put others down, you know, they're missing. Like I said, I hope that the foundation of Christianity at least is God's grace and our need to do the same. And, um, I assume that's the one thing we can share. And yet there's so many people who look like me and call themselves Christians who misrepresent that. And I'm like, well, you just crapped on all of us. Thanks a lot. You made, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks. Made my job a lot easier. That's yep. 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 It's going to be great. Well, this was good. This was fun. Hopefully uh, no hate mail. Um, yeah. Well, if you have any of that, send it to, um, Courtesy of a fraud. Joe, <laughs> Joe Rogan, Rogan podcast. <laughs> and uh, and we'll, we'll get it from him. But anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Jamie, good to see you as always. As always. Take it easy, guys. 